0: Welcome to In the Eyes Off. Today we are joined by with Sofia. Sofia is an art curator originally from Mexico but now studying in Chicago. We will talk a little bit about art, feminism, Mexican society and racism. I hope you enjoy this episode. Sofia, welcome to In the Eyes Off. Can you tell us a little bit of yourself, who you are and what you studied? Thank you for having me here first. I'm Sofia Sanchez-Borboa. I'm
1: a Mexican curator. I'm 28 years old. I have a BA in art history that I got from Casa Lama in Mexico City. And I'm currently getting my master's in visual and critical studies at the School of the Art Institute
0: in Chicago. Art is a career that is not very well seen in Mexico because of all the prejudices and all, you know, the misconceptions that it leads to that often you hear, you're not going to find a job, you're gonna starve. So how is it that you decided to study art apart from all the other? I kind of just, it just happened. I was in law school and
1: then I dropped out and I dropped out in like in June. So I really didn't have a plan and I didn't want to take like six months off and not do anything. I felt like time was flying and I needed to do something. And then I saw this pamphlet for art history and I was like, well, this sounds cool. I didn't really know much about art. Like, yeah, I had been to museums, I had traveled here and there, and I enjoyed it as much as the next person, but that was it. But then, like, once I got into the field of study, I loved it. I had always been a big history fan. Throughout my high school years, I loved my history classes. So that's kind of how I got into it. Then after that, getting a job can be hard. But I feel like one of the main problems in Mexico is that they do not teach you how to get a job with it. And there's honestly so many possibilities of what you could do
0: with art degrees in general. Well, I don't think they teach anyone how to get a job in Mexico. I think the Mexican education system is good luck. You graduated, now you're free to see what happens next, right? I think that's true. Like, unless you
1: studied law or like accounting. Medicine. Or medicine. (laughs) like. No one really
0: tells you what kind of jobs you can get. And you have like this really amazing project that is basically how I came across you called See You Later, boys. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Because it's, I find it, that it's an incredible, really inspiring project. See You Later,
1: boys is an exhibition composed of seven male art pieces that are mailed to different exhibition makers, which are the people that sign up for it. Um, The registration was on Instagram, it's currently closed. And the idea is that they could set an exhibition in the, at their homes in a space of 24 by 36 inches, which is like a basic poster size. And that way, and like what you receive in the mail is everything you need to make an exhibition, which are the title wall and like the vinyls and the postcards.
0: And then you can have your own exhibition at home. And how did this idea came to you? Like, because I think people right now... Would have a hard time grasping the idea that anyone can be an exhibition or have an exhibition at their house
1: It came through two different ideas the first one was that I was Honestly exhausted of online exhibitions. I feel like they're so boring. I rarely see anything that's worth it It also has to do with the medium. They're not meant to be like some pieces are just not meant to be seen online so I was First of all, missing the physical experience of going to a museum. So I thought like, wouldn't it be cool if I could mail an exhibit? And then that's how I came up with mail art because it just made sense that that would be in the format. And then on the other hand, I just feel like being an exhibition maker or a curator is just like the coolest job out there.
0: So like, why not share that with other people? And how, okay, can you explain to us a little bit about why is mail art and how, I mean, you explained already that you love the idea of somebody receiving mail and that being art. So can you like go a little bit further on that? Mail art is a movement that has existed for a while, but it like
1: really took off in the seventies. And it comes from the idea of dealing with the bureaucracies and intricacies of the mailing system. And so artists started like sending like small scale works to each other with instructions, with like send this to someone else or don't send it to that person or like do this or that and then they were kind of playing with it and like how mail travels which is like sometimes it's like crinkled, sometimes it it gets wet, it's all part of the mail so that's how it started.
0: And how did the name for your Project your Later Voice came out to be?
1: Yeah, so part of the curatorial process is doing a lot of research and I was like looking at previous exhibitions that might have been similar and into the history of mail art And then I came up with this information that in 1984, there was this woman curator, Ronnie Cohen, and she organized an exhibition called Male Art Then and Now. The exhibition featured the historical aspect of male art and the more contemporary interaction. So what she did was that she curated what was going to be in the the exhibit, which is like kind of seen as Contrary to the unspoken rules of male art, which is exhibiting everything you get. But in this case, it didn't make sense. So she had this panel for her exhibit, which included all male artists and male as in the rural men. And they told her that she didn't understand male art, so that she should sit down, stop moderating, and learn. And she just got up and said, Have fun, boys. And that's
0: kind of how the name came to be. That's so interesting. So, you know, in the Spanish recording where we're talking about how art tends to be a male-dominated field. And that is, you know, just recently changing because of all the social changes our generation is living through. Can you tell us a little bit more about that and how this relates a little bit to your project? Yes,
1: um somehow male art has been like historically well it's not only male art just art in general has been historically male dominated but male art in particular like even after all my research i can only name two women artists which are patricia tenever the male art queen and anna banana and that's it i could not find more women so to me it was important to create a platform for women because what happened to Ron- Ronnie was completely misogynistic like there's no other way around it like mm-hmm you don't know enough. She's she has a PhD. She's actually Dr. Ronnie Cohen. And these people were telling her like you need to learn. How offensive is that? So I thought that you know what? She's a woman curator. She paved the path for other women curators like me. And at the same time, why not create this network of women, artists that are now being exposed to the world? Cause they do need they do deserve to be exposed because for some reason we know more male artists
0: than we know women artists. And how did you came across these artists? Or were you looking for specific types of art? Or how did you decide who was going to be part of this really cool project? Which, by the way, I think the comment they made to Dr. Connie, you said? Dr. Ronnie Cohen. Dr. Ronnie Cohen, I think, is a Accurate reflection of the times you are living in. Well,
1: I came across all of them. I had known them for a while. I mean, I go to art school, so it's like fairly easy to meet artists. But I was especially interested in these because one, I thought that like I had to support people that were close to me. But on the other hand, I feel like receiving mail is something so intimate. Like getting a letter is just like it's not meant for everyone's eyes. It's just meant for your eyes. So the, all these artists work with the ideas of intimacy. So I thought it
0: would be fun to explore like how this would translate into postcards. Exactly. And I think it's a beautiful idea because as you said, it's a whole like mailing things, whether it be letters, arts, packages, like it's a whole thing within itself. I mean, specifically in Mexico where Correos de Mex- Mexico or Mexican Post is just a complete disaster and it's like a, an experience.
1: I think, uh, first of all, mail is really fun. Because it's just, like, ridiculously bureaucratic in any country. In Correos de Mexico, in particular, it gets worse. Because they, like, never have the right stamps for international mailing. So you have to put, like, 50 different stamps in an envelope. And then sometimes they don't fit. And then they're like, "Ah, oh, well, you should have gotten a bigger envelope. Like, you, you knew that. But at the end of the day... Just like taking the time to do that for someone, putting yourself through the pain just says so much. And when you get a letter and like knowing that someone thought of you and went through this whole process is the difference between a good day and a bad day. Like it definitely makes you smile. So that's something wh- that I wanted to create. I was like, so what I'm hoping is that like this act of kindness inspires others. I'm sending all of this for free. And the idea is that, like, once they set up the exhibit and spend some time with it at home, they take each of the mail art pieces, which are postcards, and then mail it to someone else, thus exposing the artist to other people, but at the same time, just sharing love, just like
0: being nice. And I think that's an incredible idea and initiative. And I, what I find even more amazing is that you're actually making it happen. Well, you were mentioning that you were sending it to, like, places like Hong Kong, where you probably don't know this person you're sending to, but, you know, that's just how your project went around. Exactly. Like, I
1: loved it. I wish I would have gotten more internet, like... The farthest away right now, I have like five countries, which is like Mexico, US, Canada. I have some people in the UK. I have someone in Portugal. But then like when you get to the Hong Kong, it's like, wow, this is really like, I'm just like excited that my artists are going to be not known by people in Hong Kong. How exciting is that? Like,
0: Did you ever thought when you were just planning out your project that that would be possible? Like Hong Kong would be a place where your project would be seen or exhibited?
1: Honestly, I I thought it would only be, like, in the U.S. and maybe Mexico. So, just, like, the fact that it's getting out there. Also, 100 people, literally 100 people registered for it. And 100 people is crazy. That's so many people. And if you think about, like, how many other people, like, if they're resending all the pieces, like, all of the mail art pieces, so they're sending seven postcards So that, this means that, like, 800 people, I think, I don't know if I did the math right there. 800 people are being exposed to art. 800 people are going to have a
0: better day just because they got mail. And that's beautiful. Like, that's just impressive and amazing. Like, I know I registered and I'm so excited and thrilled and just anxious to get it because i already want not only to have it here but also to send it to other people
1: yeah and i'm so excited for that i like can't wait for people to tag us on instagram at see you later boys and like show us like how they're putting up their exhibit where they're going to put it up because it's all supposed to be at home so like
0: i don't know i want people to get creative with it no and i think you're going to be amazed by the creativity and curiosity of people so we've talked about your project and you being an art curator, but who is Sofia behind, you know, or aside from the art, aside from creating, like, who is Sofia today? I, I feel like that's a
1: very interesting question because I, I, I don't want to define myself by my job, and I feel like that's the way we all define ourselves. But then at the same time, I have a job that I love and that I, like, I'm very passionate about. So I will define myself as an art curator. But aside from that, I feel like I'm a historian. I'm someone that's, like, deeply interested in how we tell history and how we tell stories. I'm also a feminist. Feminism came, like, a little bit late into my life because I'm Mexican. And this just became, like, a fairly new thing. Like, I wish I knew knew more female authors. And I didn't know that, but... I'm getting there, I think I'm a
0: creative person I'm a fun person I'm a good friend. I don't know How did feminism came into your life? You say you started late, but how did it How did you became to be a feminist because I think even in Mexico, defining oneself as a feminist is like well seen among women, but then it's like badly seen among men who now suddenly see you intimidating. And probably radical and misunderstood and, you know, like, all these bad stereotypes feminists get. I mean, I was always a feminist in quotations. Um, I remember in high school, a
1: professor, one of our teachers asked us, like, are you feminist? And all of the girls said no, except for me. And then they, and I remember thinking, like, they're so dumb. And they're like, I don't think I'm better than men. I was like, that's not what feminism is. (laughs) Feminism means that you think you're equal, that you can see, consider yourself an equal, and that you deserve the same opportunities as men. But then, like, for a while, like, yes, like, the idea is easy in your mind, but then, and you see it a lot in Mexico, there's so many attitudes that are just, like, hurtful towards women that you permit little by little, and then one day, you, you realize that's not okay. And I think in Mexico, it happened with, like, how big the femicide... Stories got that had to do with it. Um, I honestly like, and this makes me so sad. When I got to grad school, all my friends could name feminist thinkers and writers and creators, like, off the top of their head, and I could not name one. And I feel like this is where like my Mexican education failed me. Because there's definitely women out there, there's definitely women that wrote important things that are worth reading about. And I just didn't know about it because I wasn't exposed to them. So that's why I consider myself like getting into feminism like a little bit
0: later in life. But I'm getting there. I'm doing my best. And I think we all are, right? Right. And I think, honestly, the Mexican education system has failed every single one of us. Because from my side, I remember thinking like, you know, there are not many environmentalists who are women in Mexico. But then when I actually started researching like two years ago, I came across like impressive women who have not only paved the way for environmental and conservation actions here in mexico but also like actually made like really good policies that is like how come this is not known how come women are ignored despite all the great things that that are done and i wonder if that's like a mexican thing that like maybe we do not give them enough press
1: i don't know like maybe like forbes mexico should be like exposing these women more like giving more space to it i don't know i feel like they're not holding space for the great
0: things mexican women are doing and it leads up the question of what would be the worst possible thing to happen if this women were you know given press and given up or not opportunities but like the attention they deserve like what's the worst thing that would happen in mexico
1: yeah why is it not happening? Why are we not getting enough
0: press? And well, you were talking about narratives that you're really into this part of like how stories are told. Can you tell us a little bit more about it and how this interest came up? I It came up. It has to, again, it goes back to how Mexican education failed us. We
1: have a very specific history as told by the state that like. Which you is know, a lie. Which is a lie. It's like definitely a lie. It's a lie in many ways. It's like. The idea that all the. I don't know. First of all, we like. We murdered all of our founding fathers. Like, Iturbide did not have. Like. And he, like, somehow seems like the bad guy. Like, I get it. Like, making yourself an emperor was, like, not a smart choice. (laughs) But he won the independence. Like, he deserves a pleaser, and he's not evil. He's like. And they painted, like, as it is black and white. Then we have, like, the Ninos Heroes fake news like the original
0: fake news i would call it (laughs) the niños for the english speakers are the kid heroes or so they're called they're supposed to be kids who were like the heroes of the castillo chapultepec which is like an Castle in Mexico City. and Yeah,
1: like during the U.S. invasion of Mexico, they invaded the castillo, the the castle, which at the time was a military school. And these kids that died, by the way, like they're not really even heroes because they died. They died defending the nation. One of them, this is my, he's my favorite one and I say that as a favorite because he did not exist, or, like, even if he did exist, I'm, like, pretty sure he did not do this, is um, Juan Escudia, and he, like, wrapped himself in the flag and then, like, fell and died, and, like, I don't understand how that's helpful, but these are all lies. And so, like, it's at the same time, it's such a lie that it would, like, all Mexicans are descendants of the Aztecs, which were not even Aztecs. They were Mexicas. And, like, why would it be only the people in, the cent- like, central Mexico that's, like, ignoring all the indigenous communities? So I'm just, like, interested in how we tell stories. Because I think we tell stories from the winner's point of view, which, in general, except in Mexico, which would tell them from, like, the loser's perspective for some reason that I do not understand. I think that's interesting. But also, like, how many people are we ignoring when we tell stories? There's so many versions of it. And also we can think of history, we tend to think of history as a linear thing. And history is not linear, it's not circular, it's just like a series of events that I wouldn't even say are in order. Because that would mean that there's a cause and
0: effect to everything. And I don't think that's necessarily true. No, and I, I agree with you. Because it's it's a process within itself. It's like saying right now the feminism movement Well, it's not only starting, it started like way long ago, but different things that we're living all as a society in different places are shaping it and different things happening at the exact same time in completely different places are causing this to happen.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's like saying like the Mexican feminist movement is directly influenced by the first wave feminism and the femicides and it's like it's not a direct correlation yes it's influenced by many things but it's not like one thing leads to the other
0: exactly i think the biggest lie in the mexican history though is benito juarez which is supposed to be our first indigenous president who by the way murdered so many indigenous people of his own and somehow he's considered a hero
1: and then you see like porfirio diaz who was like kind of indigenous and then he's white in every single painting in, like, all of them. And, like, I get he was a dictator, but, like, why is he white in everything? And, like, if I you see be- paintings, he gets, like, progressively white as
0: time goes by. Oh, really? I didn't know that. And that's something really interesting. Because art is a study of history, in a way. Like, it tells you different things people were living at a specific time. What have you seen in Mexican art that, is, that has left you, like, in shock or surprised you? Oh, I would say that the
1: race paintings, pinturas de casta, the ones that they used during colonial times where they told you, like, if you mix, I don't know, if you mix black with white, you get a mulato. If you get a Spanish with, like, a Mexican-born Spaniard, then it's, it's, um... It's this. A criollo. A criollo, exactly, sorry. If you, like, mix Mexican and indigenous, then you get mestizo. Like... Why do these paintings exist? And then like we go back to how we tell histories. Our elementary school books, the official state's books, had these paintings. And for some reason, we had to
0: memorize all the blends. The diagrams, the diagrams of caste systems in Mexico. I can testify to that. Yeah. Like, how is this like not institutional
1: racism? How is this like not creating a bigger problem rather than solving it?
0: No, exactly, and I think Mexico as a state has still such a long way to go. Not only in arts, but also when it comes to racism and machismo, which is basically—I don't know how to explain machismo. It's
1: like a misogynistic attitude, but it's seen like as as a light thing. It's like yeah, they're not directly killing women; they're just repressing them through jokes, through or comments, them sometimes. Huh?
0: educating them sometimes, as they'd like to say.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like, they were
0: educating Dr. Ronnie Cohen. And I think it's something really common, because, I mean, for, like, both the racism and misogyny in Mexico, because for me, I've heard from my parents or, like, from family members, which I understand from the time they lived, then this is how they grew up. And, like, if we grew up with this Mexican institutional textbooks showing us, like, the race system in Mexico them saying, like, you need to better the race. Like, this is a phrase that comes so often, as in, you should date people who are whiter than you because you need to better the race right now.
1: Yeah, and, like, and you hear it in so many comments from, like, I don't know, and this is a game my friends and I like to play, which is, like, is he blonde or is he good-looking? Because, like, some for some reason, people in Mexico confuse, like, being just white and blonde with being good-looking, and that's not necessarily true. I mean, at the end of the day, it's a subjective thing. But still, like, that's how much racism is in us. And then, like, you hear so many comments of, like, of, like, how people are dating. Like, there's the Amarte Duele, which is a movie, and it's a movie reference of, like, the rich white girl dating the low-income brown person. Like, and these comments are just, like, everywhere all the time and they're like not okay and we need to stop making them because they're like they're not microaggressions they're macroaggressions they are the root of a bigger problem
0: and how do you think art influences in today's time you know in the modern era this type of narrative of racism and misogyny maybe not in mexico like all around the world i think that we're starting to fight it i feel like
1: in mexico i've definitely seen women come up with art about femicide and that's very empowering um i saw this exhibit for the 2020 art week at salon acme which was called welcome to fear city and the idea like it was based on a pamphlet of new york that was telling you, like, how to take care of yourself in New York that they did. So this was applied to Mexico City, like, how to survive in Mexico City and all of the dangers that, are, that are, are there. And some of them were, like, femicides. It's a thing that you're exposed to. So I see artists doing that. At the same time, I feel like... And I don't want to get too much into, like, censoring people or the culture of... What's that called? Um, cancel culture. Because that's happening in the art world, too. Like they're doing with Picasso. I, I like, don't think we we should eliminate all the people that are horrible. All the men, because it's men. All the horrible men that have done things in history. Because otherwise, like, we will not have any kind of cultural history. I think their thoughts are worth exploring. But maybe we should add as a footnote. Or I don't even know if, like, I would call it a footnote. Because that means, like... It's on the bottom and it's like something you want to read. Maybe, I don't know. It should be a note where we add like this person did this and that. Something to note and to know, but not to eliminate the person completely. Because some things are still worth exploring. And also I feel like we're making judgments from today's point of view that... But not necessarily a bad thing at the time. And it gets back to what you were saying about like your parents and it applies to my parents. I don't justify the, the like unfeminist attitudes that they have, I don't justify them, but I understand where they're coming from. They're coming from a different time. I
0: just think we need to do better now. Yeah, no, because it's often you hear them say, you get offended by everything. It's because you're a millennial and then it's like, No, it's because you're actually being offensive. You just don't want to acknowledge it because that means you would have to let go of so many things you were thought of and probably the way you were, you know, raised. I was going to ask you, yeah, no, like going back to the cancel culture and what you said, I totally agree. I think I don't actually agree with the cancel culture. I think we should rather enforce or encourage a I messed up so now I have to own up to that mistake, to that maybe actions or comments that I said, and how can I do better? What, where can I learn? How can I learn? And, you know, just do the work. But at the same time, I believe we should be able to But to separate the idea or the talent of, especially the people who have died already, you know, like artists like Picasso, like there's no way they could think or have the same perception of life that we have now in modern times. However, I do see problematic when people right now, artists or whatever, say offensive comments. And then they want to say, I didn't know. Because I think in today's culture, it's impossible not to know when something is offensive or something is racist.
1: Yeah, exactly. And like, I get it that we're all learning. We're all trying to do our best. Or at least I hope we all are trying to. But there's some people that just like, at this time, like, why are you still making those comments? They're not okay. And you know, they're not okay. Why are you, or like why are, why are you dating minors? That's not okay. We know it's okay. Like it should not happen. And like we see it in Mexico with politicians. Like you hear about prostitution circles with minors and they still get elected. Like these things should not be happening.
0: Exactly because then you see these people not being punished because of clas- classism, which is a big thing in Mexico like privilege and just nothing happening and then these same politicians can re-elect it and keeping their jobs and like i think that reinforces the idea in the mexican culture that for men specifically that they can do whatever they want and there are not going to be any repercussions to their actions yeah and i think like this is also where like feminism comes into play and again like
1: some like i've heard this from men all the time and and not even men i'm gonna call them boys because that's what they are they're boys And they hear them like, oh, you can't take a joke anymore. It's like, no, because it's not funny. If you're like, if you're making women feel small and you're denigrating what they are, who they are and what they do, it's not funny. And it's just like those small attitudes. They're like, again, it's a microaggression. That's really a macroaggression. It's those small attitudes that reflect what's going on deep inside of us. And like, yes, we might seem offended. We might be like with the, this millennial
0: attitude, but that's because we're trying to change it. Exactly. And I would have to agree, to be honest. So one of the recurring questions that we have on the podcast is what are some of your upcoming challenges, either personal or professional, and how do you plan to overcome them? If you have like a plan for this, because I get that sometimes it's hard to foresee what's going to happen in the future.
1: Um, I think that my general problem is money. <laughs> I'm gonna be totally honest. I'm an independent curator, which means an unemployed cur- curator. I get money to do my exhibits through grants and donations, mostly grants. And there's money out there for the arts. There there really is. Like we can make this a sustainable industry. And to me, like a very important thing of what I do is like try not to charge money. Cause I heard this expression or phrase one day, which is art is for everyone, but only the elite knows that. And I think that's very true for some reason. Well, not for some reason. We've, I think museums have done this part in, in some way or another. Um, but it's caused people to feel like they cannot identify with the art in general, or they feel like they do not understand it. And I want to change that. And part of changing that is, like, try to make it as free as possible and comprehensible. So I try not to charge for that. I'm like very into participatory art and like site specific things and things which just like everyday people can encounter it. And this also applies to see you later boys. So right now I'm like trying to figure out budget and like how to make it work. At the same time, like I do need a job, like an actual job as a curatorial assistant or as a curator in a museum. I would love that or at a gallery. So um, I'm about to finish my master's. So I'm now into that. I'm trying to get a job here, but if that doesn't work, then, like, I don't think going to Mexico is the end of the world, because I love Mexico. I think it's an incredible place. But then it's, like, figuring out how I'm going to do it in Mexico, because right now there's there's not that many jobs, especially in culture. And, like, for example, the UNESCO, I think, and don't quote me on this, but I think, like, suggests that 3% of the country's budget goes into the into culture and mexico is doing something that's like 0.1 only so there's not enough money
0: no there never is in mexico not to support anyone at least so they say and it's i think it's interesting what you were saying of art you know and i want to ask you like right now and i talked about it in another episode with i think firas we're talking about right now technology being so mixed into the art, you have many people saying like, this is not art anymore because it has technology in it. So I want to raise up this question of what is art? That's an excellent question. I I think
1: it's a question that does not have an answer. Part of the reason why, my master's is in visual and critical studies, which means that I study the Frankfurt School for critical thought. So it's like Adorno or Hegel or Benjamin Deleuze. But all these people like create the basis for critical thought which also leads to like queer theory decolonial theory post-colonial theory feminism affect theory all of these things relate to it and then the other part is visual studies and visual studies what we do is that especially in the twenty first, so if we're understanding art as a source for history visual studies does not make the judgment of what's art or what's not anymore because in the 21st century it's really hard and it's also it's a kind of weird judgment to decide like this is art this is not so we just study all of visual culture now going back to the point about like um technology being mixed in i think it's awesome honestly I i'm really into it i think it's cool i don't know enough about it Right now I'm in a curatorial fellowship and we're working with some bio artists and we're in a project. I do not know enough about this. We literally just started, but we're doing something that has to do with atomic energy and we're working with both scientists and artists. So I'm like
0: excited to see where that goes. But also, what's the point of saying something's art and what's not? Exactly. And I think it raises back these questions. I think it's so interesting that you're working with scientists because I hear often And, you know, there's this narrative or this idea, and I think it's worldwide because I've seen it with international friends, too, where they say, I'm not creative. I'm not an artist because they're not able to draw perfectly well as we've been taught, you know, that are the great artists of the world, where in reality, I think everyone is creative and everyone can be an artist because art is so fluid and so subjective that anything can be considered art. I agree, and also like, and this is something that it took me a long time to come to terms with. If
1: your practice is drawing or painting, it's honestly a skill. It is. That's just a skill. What makes art something is the creativity and curiosity you put behind it. And honestly, curiosity goes a long
0: way. I think curiosity is one of the biggest gifts anyone can have, and I think it's something you can work on too. Because I know that this podcast started out of curiosity, of curiosity of wanting to talk to other people and curiosity to know more about more things. But then I see how my own life, my own perception of how things are, have changed due to curiosity.
1: Right, and that's absolutely true. Like, the curatorial process is basically curiosity. You're interested in a theme and you're interested in exploring it, and you look into ways to think about it through
0: curiosity. And I have another question about, you know, these ideas that are being really heard these days because of all the movements going on with feminism and decolonization, which is basically the decolonization of culture involving, you know, art, that somehow, you know, there is these artists, and we've talked a little bit about this already, which are like, if this artist is racist, then does it mean that his whole art is racist as a whole? And I I think also another good question is what, Decolin- decolonization culture actually means. Okay, so I think that the best part,
1: of, like the really great thing about the concept of decolonizing is that you're not like specifically talking about decolonizing ex-colonies. Like it's not to- just talking about India or the Latin American colonies or the Asian colonies. It's not only about that. You can decolonize everything. You can decolonize thought. And like forms of oppression and that's where like feminism comes in queer theory comes in it's like it's opening a space for getting rid of certain oppressions and we're seeing that in the arts and we see that in like especially like right now our contemporary artists the artists that are our age are working really hard towards that just like rethinking things and i think it's important to do it because again i'm i'm not against taking paintings out of museums and just like because the art art is racist or like I think it's important
0: to see that it's part of our history but also like also know that's not okay exactly I think I agree with you in the sense of at least in Latin America because I know that these terms are often different what they represent in you know the U.S. or Canada as what it does in Latin America because of our history with the Spanish people maybe in Brazil with the Portuguese of colonization and everything but I think For the context we're living right now in Mexico, I think decolonization should actually mean rethink it, leave or let go the things that no longer work, like the caste system or like prejudice against dark-skinned people or these oppressive reforms or legal policies that we have, but rather accept that we're all Mexicans, right? Right. Exactly. And it's understanding that we live... Mexico is a post-colonial
1: country. We cannot erase the spanish conquest the it's so intricate in in our blood and our like it's part of who we are we are spanish we are indigenous and we're the mix of cultures we're mestizos and by that i don't mean like going back to the idea of that we're like we come from the four races therefore we're superior that we got to like somewhere in the early 20th century which was like leading to fascism i don't mean that i mean just accepting that both things are part of who we are But also, like, again, and and it's like decolonizing thought. No, we do not all come from Aztecs. That's like a weird thing. It's not, it doesn't make sense. There's so many indigenous cultures out there. But at the same time, it's the idea that makes space for people of color in Mexico. Like, not everyone's
0: white, yet in the media, we only see white people. Yeah, there was this study. I'm actually working on a project based on this idea. And yeah, anyways, there was this demographic study that You know they sensed people they made statistics and everything and it turns out that between nine and 12 percent of the mexican people are white however 87 percent of the people portrayed in the media are white and that leaves you the space to thinking like where is the rest of the mexican people like no wonder why there are these thoughts of you have to better the race or you should appear to be whiter. you need to bleach your skin or anything.
1: Exactly, and also like, yes, they appear in the media, but how are they appearing in the media? Are they appearing as domestic workers? Or, like, are they just in the service industry? Like, that should change too, because that just builds an image of how we see ourselves, and that should be more fluctuating.
0: No, exactly, and I see, for example, movements going on inside the city too, like, for example, people want to remove the monuments of Francisco and Montejo which apparently was like a really racist guy and when you think about it it's like yes those changes should probably happen and that doesn't mean that we're letting go of history rather we're trying to portray what actually happened you know like we're trying to get more education out there and at the same time and maybe I shouldn't be quoted on this one but I was once told you know Merida the city I live in right now has this like slogan of the white city because it's supposed to be it is actually the i think the safest city in mexico but and it's supposed to be the white city because of that however not long ago in university i was told no it's called the white city because in colonial times they wouldn't allow indigenous people inside the city so it was called the city of whites oh that's just awful and it's a slogan we still use and it's like okay there's no way the government will ever own up the The white city is like a racist slogan, however, should they, should that change? I think it should
1: change, and like, the thing with monuments is that we can go back to when the feminists made their artistic interventions to the Ángel de Independencia in Mexico City. Monuments evolve, their meanings change, and their significations change, And it's important to recognize that and see that process, too.
0: And what you were mentioning about the angel, the angel of independence in Mexico City, that it's not even an angel.
1: Yeah, and it's so interesting. So angel in Spanish, because Spanish is a gendered language, angel is masculine. But it's not really an angel. It's a winged victory and like an AK goddess that represents victory and... Victory is female and for some reason we decided to change the gender and if you look at the whole monument in general The only versions of women there are idealized versions, which is like the women that represent the law or war or Victory and then the monument is like all men and then of all the names that are written on the column I think only four of them are women And, like, what that monument is saying is that independence and victory was brought onto Mexico by the men, and women only serve as an idealized figure,
0: which is ridiculous. It is, because I think on the unofficial version of Mexican history, the revolution the independence was actually started by women. You know, it was, like, their proactivity that, and their, I think, mischief is the right word, that actually went into all the planning to make it effective. Yeah, and exactly, and, like, Jose Ortiz
1: de Dominguez key figure as important as all of the men in the war for independence why is she made to be a secondary character she's she's right there she's right there in the middle she's like all the brains behind it and wh- why did we decide say that she does not matter our history is not made by men it's made by men and women and for some reason we're not recognizing that in a in a monument
0: Only to wrap up the conversation, you know, this last few minutes, I have two last questions. The first one being, what do you think is the future of Mexico involving not only art or creatorship, but also art influencing the movements that are happening right now? Because we've talked about feminism, we've talked about misogyny, we've talked about feminicides, we've talked about education. So what is going to be art's role in the future? That's a tough question. I want to say that art is going to
1: play a bigger role. I feel like that's what I really hope. Um, Mexico, it's always hard to think in positives because, like, even though it's a wonderful country full of creativity, curiosity, people that are genuinely nice and kind, some, like... It's surrealist, and I don't mean surrealism in a a good way or like magic realism in a good way. It just means that we accept things that should not be happening, and we just kind of laugh it off. Um, My hope would be that art plays a bigger role. I feel like I I strongly believe in the right to the aesthetic experience. And yes, that can come from looking at a sunset. But I'm sure that there's neighborhoods out there where you cannot even look at the sunset or enjoy that. So I hope that art gets there, because... Even if it's through murals, site-specific works, involving the people. Because I, I I, honestly think that makes a difference between just living a good life or not. It's, it's life-changing. Art is life-changing. I think it should be more involved in schools. It should not be seen just like brushed off as something that's not useful. Art is useful in many ways. It sparks creativity. Which we go back to the idea of bio art and like technology involved with art and all of that. Art is everywhere, you just like need to learn how to, how to place it in different places. Um, And then I just hope that through art, because like now you in Mexico, you see particularly a lot of feminist art, it starts changing the mind of people. Also, I've, I've started to see a lot of exposure for the classism and the racism through, not necessarily like through a painting, but you see it through media, through stories, through Films and I'm hoping that just like slowly starts changing the way we see ourselves and the
0: way we want our society to be Definitely and I agree with that like it's so hard keeping your hopes up in a country that often wants to put you down However, I think it's also fair to acknowledge that there's a lot of support especially among women trying to make the country and the culture itself better And for my last question, is there something, an idea, maybe we've talked about it already, maybe we haven't, that you just want to remind people or you just want to say in general? Well, first of all, support women.
1: Support women artists, support women curators. But in general, support women. We do great stuff, we do, and I'm not saying we do stuff better than men, we just do it equally as good as men, sometimes better. But that's just like, that's Mm. just life. That's just people being better than others. And things, just support them. We're out there. We deserve a space for it. Um, at the same time, go to at later's voice on Instagram. See what is happening. Um, if you know someone that registered for it, bug them and try to get one of the postcards. <laughs> and then if you want to be in conversation with me, slide into my DMs. That's also an option. And just be on the lookout for what people are creating and how the exhibits are going to look. And I'd love to get your support, and I'm very thankful for this platform.
0: Well, Sofia, thank you so much. I do want to say before the formal goodbye that I'm getting the exhibit. So if anyone wants to message me because they want to be part of it, you can just, like, I can forward you one of the seven pieces you said, right? That are part of the exhibit. So, Sofia, thank you so much for this conversation. I'm really grateful that we came across you know in social media because your project is just amazing and i love your energy your ideas and just everything that you're trying to make and represent i have no doubt that you will do great so thank you so much for this conversation
1: Now thank you for everything i love your the idea of your podcast i think you're incredible i had so much fun and I hope we get to do this again in a couple of years with a different project and see where like where both of our lives have gone. Definitely.
0: I would definitely love to have you again. Thank you so much, Sophia.